Let's go to uh, Romans chapter 8. That's where we're at this morning. You see Romans 8, verse 1, beginning with verse 1. And hopefully you are opening up your Bibles with that. You want to stay with there as well. There will be some other passages that we will turn to. Uh, won't really have them up on the uh, PowerPoint this, this morning. As we begin with uh, Guilty Part 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And if the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, and your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are the children, our children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Father, we pray this morning as we look at Your Word that You would help us to see ourselves and where we're at. Lord, it may be that this morning this message is just a, a confirmation for some, a, a blessing uh, to their soul, and yet, Lord, it is not just merely for us, for there are those around us who struggle with this that they need to be set free from. The very basic thing that none of us should have to struggle with. And so, Lord, move. Help me to speak your words, but go beyond anything I say. Help a, a, as we... Show this scripture, this truth this morning. And maybe for the very first time, there would be those that the light bulb would go on. And that you would go in. Thank you for what you're going to do, Jesus. In your name we pray. How many of you here find that the chains of guilt and shame still wrap around you. 
about something that maybe happened years ago. You have this sense of condemnation that it just kind of hangs over you. Sometimes you're not even sure why you feel guilty. You're not even sure what's going, but, but especially as a Christian. Maybe that's why, because you are a Christian. Maybe, maybe because you are a Christian, you have a constant weight on you. Is that why? A constant weight on you because it seems like you just keep failing, you keep falling. And you just feel like you don't deserve God's mercy. Not to the extent now that you've messed up. This supply of God's grace seems like it's starting to run out for you. And pretty soon you're going to have to pay the piper. When asked if you've come to the place in your spiritual life where you know for certain 100% that you're going to heaven, at best... All you can say is, I hope so. But you're just not sure. I I can't say that I know so. You have some doubts. Maybe you thought you've just done so much, too much, for God to forgive you. You've crossed the line with God, and you're not sure whether He's actually going to let you in. Maybe at one time you were, but... Right now, no. We hear this voice of condemnation. We think it's from God. Maybe it is. Maybe it's from others in our life. Uh, Maybe you've heard that voice of condemnation over and over and over growing up, so much so that the lies that we talked about last week, those worthless lies, are nothing compared to to the thoughts of how guilty, how wrong, how bad you feel that you are, even if it's just in your own head. You're so sensitive. You're sensitive about the things that are said and done that you say and do that you know should be under the blood of Jesus. You know that you should be totally forgiven, and yet in some weird way, You're not saying it to anybody. You just have this nagging sense. It's not working for you. It doesn't apply to you. In fact, you have this sense that you need to punish yourself in some way. Beat yourself up in some way. Still living under a condemnation. Not set free. And yet we read right here this morning in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's be free. Let's be free this morning to be free, to hear the words of God Himself say to you, not guilty. Not guilty. In fact, what we're going to do this morning is we look at this passage in part one and there's going to be some of these things you're going to say, well, what about this and what about that? Come next week, part two, right? But what I want to do this morning is kind of play out this scene, so to speak, as we think about what 
to be set free from condemnation. This morning what I want us to do is to be able to kind of play out this scene uh, like it's in a courtroom of heaven. How many of you ever watched a cops and robber show? Uh, you know, they don't really call it anymore. But, you know, or you've seen like a law show or a lawyer show or like a courtroom kind of thing. You've seen courtroom scenes. All right, so a lot of you have seen this kind of thing. So we're going to kind of enact that this morning. And let's just start right at what happens before the case happens. So first, what happens before you actually appear to court is you get caught. Uh, Kirby, would you come on out? Okay. So this is what's happened. Kirby, this is where we all start, so to speak. You're in jail. You've been caught red-handed in the act of crime or sin, should we say. And unfortunately, you already have a record that is a mile long after you've been caught. And so you are guilty, waiting final sentencing. This is what you are. So I'm just going to have you have a seat right down on the first row there so you don't have to stand up here the whole time. But I'll, I'll call you up occasionally you have here. But all right. So you realize, here's Kirby as our example, but the reality is that's every one of us right here, sitting right here at some point in our life to recognize, as Romans 3.23, all of us have fallen short, right? All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that that punishment for that in Romans 6.23 is that penalty of that sin is death. The penalty is the death penalty. And so Kirby and every one of us at some point before the trial takes place, sitting there guilty, awaiting the final sentencing of the death penalty. There comes a time where we get, so to speak, our day in court. You're locked up, but then comes the courtroom of heaven, shall we say. So, I'm going to go ahead and move down here as we think about the courtroom of heaven. And as you think about this, obviously there is that important part that everybody says. Are you ready? Hear ye, hear ye, all rise for the honorable God who is, who was, and is to come, who will be above all and over all, creator of the universe, all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, sovereign Lord. And the judge's gavel comes down. Court is now in session. You may be seated. Now, there are some that would like to say when you get to this part in the court, the court's starting and you got God as the judge. Hey, that's no problem. That, that's no problem that God is the judge because God is love. And, and, and he's just going to let it slide. Right? We, we see God as this uh, kind, old, grandfatherly type of, of person. You know, that, that doesn't seem to mind. Uh, you know, kids will be kids. That's uh, just the way it is. So let's just spare the rod and go ahead and spoil this kid. That's not what God says. In so many places, that's not what God says. 
We would like to think, oh, God is love and he'll just let it go. But it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, for it is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face judgment. All of us will face judgment before the court of heaven. And make no mistake, each and every person will be judged. There will be a judgment day and sentencing will be handed out for all of eternity. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And from his presence on earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged in each one of them according to what they had done. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Judgment. For those who are guilty, there is punishment and condemnation that awaits. There is not this, well, if I don't believe in God, then I will just die and cease to exist. I won't live anymore, and that's not true. Our soul lives on forever. The question is where? Because there is a penalty that awaits us that is a death penalty, not of just a physical death, but a death penalty in which we are separated from God for eternity. we sent to experience that punishment forever and ever. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, or uh, adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, some people don't like this kind of talk. Others like to just kind of ignore it and say, well, you know, Jesus, Jesus is so full of love. I mean, now He's come and there's no condemnation in Jesus. Jesus, maybe you talk about God the Father. Yeah, 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 He's not that way. But not Jesus. He lets everyone just go. And yet, what did he say to the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the, the uh, hypocrites in Matthew 23, verses 13, 40, and so many other places, talking that to them, saying, you will receive greater condemnation, in case we're not really sure what that condemnation means, what kind of condemnation will we receive? In verse 33, he says, how will you escape the condemnation of hell? We like to rationalize, but... That, that what Jesus, okay, Jesus is, there are certain people that Jesus had to condemn. There are certain ones that are condemned to punishment and all of that. But those were the bad people. Those were the guys that really weren't that great. They were that good. The ones, he's not talking about the ones who were who are, uh, good religious people. He's not talking about the ones who were trying to do the right thing. Or was he? Regarding those who were are guilty and condemned. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, Jesus' own words says, On that day, we're talking about the court hearing day, 
the court hearing day of judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? And then Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Even those good religious people will not be in the kingdom of heaven. He says the verse right before that in 21. So make no mistake. We need to be set free from condemnation. It may be that as I started out and listing and talking about different people who are experiencing things right now, that that's not you. But every one of us need to be set free from condemnation because the condemnation of God is real. So let's move on in this courtroom scene to the first one who will be speaking, so to speak, if we can say it that way. And um, the first one, is who's the one that usually starts out? We're going to start with, if I can get this to flip over here. I'm going to start out with the prosecution. Okay? The prosecution and... uh, I'm going to put this all the way on, but we'll use it kind of like this. All right, so prosecuting attorney sometimes is seen to wear red. don't know that's really true, but prosecuting attorney, what, is who? Satan. Satan is the accuser. Satan is on the side of the prosecution. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God, and the authority of His Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Satan is called the accuser. Satan wants those who are guilty, which is everybody. Satan wants those who are guilty to join him in the eternal prison that awaits him. And so Satan begins. The judge says, okay, let's begin this hearing. Prosecution, present your case. And Satan begins and says, Judge, I would suggest that we waive the reading of all the charges against this person here because we will never get out of here. The list is huge. The case against him seems to be shut and closed as far as I can see. In fact, Judge, this person is so guilty it is the easiest case I have ever prosecuted. Your Honor, the evidence is stacked so high, and I'm not talking about circumstantial or twisted, but clear, irrefutable evidence that he is guilty. That's what I would say. Guilty. It is clear. As you can see for yourself in the book, Your Honor, he has a record. You have the record that is a mile long. So let me just cut to the chase. The prosecution calls to the witness stand the accused. Kirby. All right. 
This was in case you didn't want anybody to know you were up here. No. All right. Now, do you swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I'm not going to use the rest of the part. Satan's never going to use the rest of the part of that. But do you swear to tell the truth? Okay. All right. So, have you ever committed a sin? Have you ever done anything that you shouldn't have done? Have you ever said anything you shouldn't have said? Have you ever thought anything you shouldn't have thought? For all that matters, have you ever neglected to do something that you should have done that was right? I really feel like, I know you're saying yes, but you, obviously your honor, he has no remorse about this. He's just simply saying yes. <laughs> I, I, obviously, he, he does not feel bad about this. Maybe he doesn't realize how bad it is, your honor. And so we have some videos up in the sound booth. Are you ready? Do you want to show <laughs> Okay, hey, we, we can hold off on the videos, but they're clear, they clearly show that you are guilty. You know, usually the devil uh, tries to stretch the truth, tries to condemn, get people to be condemned for things that they didn't actually do or even things that God doesn't even call sin. The devil will try to do that, make you feel guilty about something that's not even sin, but with this man right here, I don't even have to go there. I'm just going to skip that tactic and just deal with the real evidence. For example, have you ever used God's name in vain? And I don't mean as a cuss word, but just used it in a way that was pointless. There was no reason. There was no real thinking of what name you were using. Have you ever been a false witness and lied and not told the truth about something? In fact... There's some in the uh, gallery, I think, that might apply to them as well. Don't forget, you're on the prosecution's list as well. Have you ever not honored your mother or father? By the way, I got video about that too. I especially like the one video where, and this is from way back when, the one video that shows the, the one time you borrowed your parents' car and they didn't know what was going on and what you did with the car and how fast you were driving and all that. But, hey, it was good. The speed limit was more then. Yeah, it's, it's interesting thinking you're living in Europe even though you're here. Again, it's the way that fantasy works. Have you ever, as Jesus said as he talks about murder, killed someone by your words, angry, or put them down, or call them a name. I mean, really, Your Honor, do I need to go on? It is obvious this person is guilty, and that this court has no other choice but to condemn this person to death, because that's what the law states, the law that you yourself wrote. Judge, you may be seated. Now, some people try to come up with an argument after that, after I've already kind of sent that there and, and, and said what was said about somebody. You go through all those. How can you not be guilty? But some people would say, okay, I know I did those things, but my good outweighs my bad. 
How many have heard that? Right? My good outweighs my bad. And so therefore I believe God should set me free from the condemnation because of that. He should just let me off the hook. But there's no one that is good enough, especially according to God's standard, which is 100% perfect. You don't, you don't get a 99. It has to be 100%. And all it takes is for you to break the law, even just one thing that you do in your whole life. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, Forever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in just one point is guilty of breaking it all. As though they're fooling themselves into thinking that if they can even come close with just one sin, for all that matters, if we think about it, how many of us would sin 10 times a day? Or let's just take it down to three times a day. Just three times in a day did you think something you should not have thought. Three times in the day did you say something you should never have said. Three times a day did you do something you shouldn't do. But let's not just talk about it's not what we do. The wrong, it's the right that we neglect to say. The right that we neglect to do. And so if you could just three times in a day mess up, sin in that way, you would actually be a pretty good person. Because probably for some of you, you haven't even been here that long and you already got three gone. You know, if only three times, you'd be pretty good. The problem is over a year, that's over a thousand times you've broken God's law. If you live to be 80, 90, that would be 90,000 transgressions against the law. I mean... How is your good going to outweigh the bad? And understand, we're saying that's 90,000 for the good person. The person who's really good only three times a day, they got 90,000. How about the rest? I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not that old, so I don't have that much. Okay, let's say you're 18. 18. You got 18,000. 18,000 times you have broken the law. Do you really think standing before a judge, any judge, you, you can bring all kinds of character witnesses that just talk about how, what a good person you are and all that. But the judge has still got to look at the record that thousands and thousands of times you've broken the law. It doesn't matter how good you are. The fact is you've broken the law this many times. You must be punished. You, are, you must have the book thrown at you in total condemnation. Which is why it is such a big deal that we talk about being set free from condemnation. The condemnation of God is real. And now what I'm talking about is saying that the condemnation on us is real. Each and every one of us. It is real. But there is good news. Because the court hearing does not stop with the prosecution, right? Right? you got to go for the defense. You go for the defense. And who is our defense attorney? Jesus is our defense attorney, so to speak. This is my white robe. This is it. <laughs> Jesus is not the accuser, but our advocate on behalf of the Father. 1 John chapter 2. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, 
the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, we each have been put in jail and we come before the judge. But we can, at that point in time, decide to either defend ourselves or have an attorney appointed for us. To have an attorney appointed for us by heaven whose name is Jesus. In fact, that's really the main choice that we have to decide before that judgment day is will we have Jesus as our defense attorney or more appropriately, will we have Jesus as our defense? And part of that defense, as we see in Romans chapter 8, is that we are in the family. For those who are in Christ, we are in the family. At the very end of chapter 8 in Romans, in verse 14, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and we are children then, heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may share in his glory. There's a sense. So when the judge says, All right, now... Let's hear the defense. Jesus stands up to make his case. As he begins, he looks at the judge and he says, Hi, Dad. How you doing? (laughs) Automatically, the devil says what? Objection, Your Honor. What do you mean? This is not fair. This is not right. He's your son. How can this be right? In which case then Jesus says, Well... If you think that's not right, Mr. Prosecuting Attorney, then I should probably tell you that this man here is my brother, the adopted son of the judge. What? Right? Yes, my brother, the adopted son. Objection. Objection you hear from the prosecution, and God says, overruled. Of course, Satan says, man, you always overrule me, even when I tried to rule over you, right? Some people think, though, that, and, and, and there may be people like this here today. I know for some of you it's just hard to imagine, but there are those who think, okay, Jesus may be a good defense attorney, but even the best defense attorney doesn't win every case. And I don't think that as good as Jesus is that after what I've done, I would ever be set free from condemnation. I've just gone too far. I've done too much for God ever to forgive. And yet that's not true. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've said, there is no sin that Jesus cannot erase. There is no sin in which Jesus cannot set you free from the condemnation that is due. And so he says, but but, but what about the unforgivable sin? You know, there's that unforgivable sin. I, I, I'm probably there. In which case we would say, and not trying to get into it all, but the fact that you are concerned about what is sin, the fact that you are concerned about whether God will forgive you or not, shows you have not yet committed the unforgivable sin. That in itself shows you're not there. 
And so what do we need to do? Well, there's nothing you can do. Because your defense attorney, Jesus, in a sense, stands up. And Jesus stands up and he says, Your Honor, I would like to offer myself to take the place of Kirby. Or anyone. I would like to offer myself to take the place and to take his punishment that he deserves so that he might be set free from the condemnation and might have a place with us forever in heaven. Your Honor, I will take the punishment. I choose to let his judgment fall on me. And I'm the only one that can do that, Jesus says. I'm the only one that can do that because everybody else has to pay for their own sin. Everybody else has to pay for their own condemnation. But I am the only one who is innocent, who has never sinned, who will not deserve condemnation at all. And so therefore, I can exchange my freedom for His. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says that God made the one who did not sin to be sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God. Or Galatians 3, Christ purchased our freedom. As the Amplified Version says, Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs or is crucified on a tree, the cross. Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that is how He can say, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation not because God let it go. Not because God just said, okay, well, whatever. But because there is no condemnation because God let it go on Jesus. He took it all. He took the punishment upon Himself. As we read in chapter 8 of Romans in verse 2, Because through Christ Jesus the law the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. To take that condemnation. In a sense, Jesus took all the condemnation that is due us, which is why we can be set free. He's paid it all. It is finished. It is important that we recognize there is no condemnation is only available to those, as it says in here in chapter 8, verse 1, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. We read that, and yet it says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. To be in Christ is more than about making a decision. It is about being a disciple that is following Him. Some people talk about how they met Jesus 20 years ago. They said a prayer, but they haven't seen Him since. There's no change of heart. There's no change of lifestyle, no change in relationship. In fact, can we even call it a relationship? Maybe even it can be a religion that's just not practiced. We cannot be in Christ Jesus if we are not with Christ Jesus. And we need to understand that the truth is, if 
there are those who are in Christ, then there are those who are outside of Christ. Not everybody is in. Not everybody will be in heaven, even though God wants everyone to be there. Even though in Jesus' death on that cross, His death covered the condemnation for each and every person. The punishment that everyone deserves, Jesus took. I think, well, but, but that just, it doesn't, so for some people still, they can't wrap their minds around it. They say, I know what the Bible says. I mean, what about the famous verse, John three sixteen? Everybody knows that, right? John 3, verse 16. For God's what? So loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever should believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can you be saying that Jesus is condemned? How can you say that we're guilty and that we're, we're to be condemned? God, it just doesn't work that way. Because John 3, 16 says Jesus came. Wait, wait, wait. So many times we don't read all that's there. See, I, I just read John 3.16, but let's continue from verse 16 on to 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Yes, see, God sent Jesus not to condemn it, but to save it. Yes, yes, He did. Verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. That's the verdict. We must believe. Not a belief that's just with our head because there are plenty of people that do that. Even the demons believe the truth. But they don't trust in Jesus alone for their salvation. There's not a faith in our heart beyond the facts in a head. If we do not, we are condemned. But if we do, we are the ones who are in Christ Jesus. And so we make a decision to follow, to be in Christ. That decision does not save us. That decision... Uh, does not, in a sense, pay the penalty, but Jesus did it. But nonetheless, it is something that we trust in Him ourselves. And so, Your Honor, the defendant would like to read his own statement before you this morning. And here's the thing. You're in a courtroom... And the defendant asks if he may approach the bench. <coughs> you don't do that. You don't get up out of where you're supposed to. You stay right where you're at. You're going to approach the bench. You're going to come to the, the judge and invite you. He said, you know, I approach the bench. And we need to understand that we can do that. We can approach God. It says in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time 
of need. Whatever you're going, whatever it is, that, that guilt that you might have for whatever it is, know that you can come to God. So, would you step forward? You've already printed out your statement. Here it is. Well, oh, and hey, let's, uh, right here. We might as well, all the way. There you go. Yeah, go ahead and read your statement before the judge. Your Honor, I recognize that I cannot disagree with the evidence that has been set before you of my guilt. I have sinned. In fact, I am a sinner. But I throw myself upon the mercy of the court as one who has sought forgiveness for all of my sins and placed my trust in Jesus Christ alone for my salvation, who, take, who took my condemnation upon himself on the cross. I surrender my life to Christ as my Lord and choose to follow him. Thank you very much. And now, you may be seated. The judge needs to render his decision. The judge says, I will now read the verdict. And the verdict is, not guilty. Woo! <laughs> not guilty. I find the defendant not guilty on all counts against him. Because therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I find the defendant innocent of the accusations before him. Now you can imagine what the prosecution is doing right about this time. Your Honor, objection! Right? How could you possibly say not guilty after all that I presented? That it was nothing was stretched. The truth wasn't stretched. It was irrefutable evidence. We even had video. Even his own testimony, he admitted that he was guilty. How is it possible that someone who is clearly guilty, you could say they are not guilty, that you're not going to condemn them, that you're not going to punish him? How is it? That's not the way God works. Yet we know even an example of Jesus in John chapter 8 with a woman caught in adultery and is brought before him. And in straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are those? Where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you. The evidence was irrefutable against her. And yet, I do not condemn you either. Go now and sin no more. You are not guilty. And we can end up thinking that God just wants to punish everyone, but the reality is that God, the Lord is not slow. He is patient towards us, wanting everyone to come to repentance. That's in Second Peter and First Timothy. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God does not want to punish. But He doesn't have a choice. Sin because he is just, sin must be punished. The judge has to do his duty. But there is another way. If someone else takes that punishment, then we can be, as the next part of Romans 3, where I said 23 earlier about we all have sinned, 24 says, but they are justified freely by his grace and the redemption is in Christ Jesus. Justified. It, justification is a legal term. It's used in court where God removes our guilt and declares us righteous. 
no longer under condemnation. Do we understand that our accused here is no longer accused? It's not that he was let go. It's not that uh, time served, you're good. No. It's that he was declared not guilty, no longer under condemnation. He was justified in the simplistic term. It is just as if I'd never sinned is what Jesus did for us freed us from condemnation. And when Jesus died on that cross to set us free from condemnation, He set us free from the condemnation of our past, our present, and our future sins. He didn't just set us free from our past. He set us free from condemnation of all the sins of all people throughout all the world for all those who will choose to be in Christ Jesus. To be free. The question today is, which voice are we hearing? Which voice of the accuser is telling us that you are guilty? Is it the voice of God? Because if you are in Christ Jesus, there's only one thing you will hear from the voice of God. Not guilty. Not guilty. What do we do? When Satan, the accuser, comes along and tries to make you wallow in guilt and you've done this again and you're in this again and you're doing this and and how about this one and all those kind of things. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, I mentioned earlier, talks about how Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But what do we do about that? Verse 11 says they triumphed over him or the ESV says they conquered over Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They conquered over Satan as the accuser because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for each and every one of us. It is by His blood that He took the condemnation and we were declared not guilty. The enemy will try to bring up our past sins. It will bring up the present, all our offenses. But when the enemy comes before God and brings up what you have done, God will open up the book and say, I don't see it in here. It's not here. I don't know what you're talking about, Satan. For he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the rest. God remembers our sin no more. Now I realize there are some that, well, 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 what about this and what about that? And like I said next week, You understand there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. We'll talk about that. But before all that, we've got to grasp. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Period. Not you were let off the hook. It never even happened. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. And that means not only you, but other people who you know, other Christians who you know, who have done some things a whole lot worse, you would say, than you. Of course, God doesn't say it that way. But we like to think, oh, this person's done this, this person's done that. You know? Oh, man, this person, they, they, they had this. And you did you hear? There should be only one thing you hear about that person. Not guilty if they are in Christ Jesus. And that's how we should treat them. 
because that's the way God treats them. 